All right, our text this morning that Jeff will be uh, preaching from is John 14, so on page 901 in your pew Bible, uh, verses 15 through 31. Here's God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. One of the questions that I want us to answer this morning is this. How is it that we draw life from Christ? How is it that you and I can abide in Christ in such a way that we draw life from him, that we do what he commands here, that we walk according to his commands? This is actually the question we asked throughout the spring semester as I taught RUF at MC. It was a series called Abiding in Christ. And what we did each week, every Monday night as we gathered together, was we studied in detail chapters 13 to 17 of the Gospel of John. And what's, what's interesting about those chapters is it's, it's one conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. And it's, it's a very somber occasion. Um, it's, it's what we know as the upper room discourse or the Last Supper. Um, it has a lot of elements in, in it within the conversation that are very emotional. In fact, there's a little movie trivia for you. because it, it draws my mind to a certain scene in a movie. I'm going to see if you can guess what the scene is from this quote. Now listen. Whoever comes to you with the Barzani meeting, he's the traitor. Don't forget that. Well, what, what movie is that from? It's from Godfather. It's from the 70s uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie in which Don Corleone, aging in bad poor health, um, the, the Godfather, the original, he is speaking to his son, Michael, and he tells Michael this. He says, now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's the traitor. Don't forget that. Because he's trying to prepare his son, Michael, to take over the family business, which is 
organized crime, which is uh, this, this mafia family um, in which they have all the control. And so he is warning his son about the one to, to be weary of. And it's, um, it's this person who will come with this meeting because Barzini, he knows, this is one of the other big families, that's one of the ones that's after, um, going to be after Michael Corleone once his dad is gone. But listen to this. This is why even more so it, it draws me into this story in John chapter 13. Listen to what Don tells his son. It's a very tender scene. He says, I work my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refuse to be a fool dancing on the string, um, dancing on the string held by all those big shots. I don't apologize. That's my life. But listen to this. This is when some regret comes into the scene. He says, but I thought when it was your time, Michael that you would be the one to hold the strings, that you'd be Senator Corleone or Governor Corleone. Well, it wasn't, wasn't enough time, Michael. There just wasn't enough time. You see the, the feelings of that scene, and now bring those to John chapters 13 through 17. Bring that to the passage we read. Because my guess is you recognized a lot of the verses that, that Brian read, um, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Um, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. If anyone loves me, he will keep my f- word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All these verses have this context, this context of Jesus leaving, of Jesus departing. And um, Jesus warns his disciples that there's somebody in the room with them that's going to betray him. It's Judas. And he actually commissions him. He sends him on his way to begin that process to, to take place that night. See, Jesus is on the eve of his crucifixion. And not only has he warned his disciples about who will betray him, he's actually told Peter, in the chapter before us, he told Peter that he will deny him three times before the night's over. So now you can kind of get a feel of the cloud that's hanging over these disciples as they're in this upper room. He is saying things like this, I will, in verse 30, I will not, no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He says, um, he says, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. See, this scene has this weight of something about to happen that's really heavy, that's, that's weighty, that the disciples are going to be in a circumstance and a position that they don't know what to do. And Jesus is saying, I won't be with you. I know some of the parents in this room have had the experience I had in this very place last August when I dropped my son. My son was a freshman this year at Ole Miss. And by the way, he just loved your church. Thank you so much for embracing him and welcoming him. His name's Jeffrey. Um, But in that circumstance, when I dropped Jeffrey off, one of the feelings that go through your, your heart and one of the thoughts that go through your mind, if you're a parent dropping off your son or daughter at college, is... Don Corleone's feeling of, I just wish there was more time. You know, I wish I could have done more for him. I wish there were, there were things I always intended to be for him. There were things I always intended to teach him. And, and what Jesus is saying here is actually different than that. You see, he's not speaking to his disciples from a sense of, of poverty. He's not sense, talking to his disciples and saying, I wish we had more time. But, you know, do your best. 
He's not speaking to his disciples about the things that are going to happen, and they're going to be hard. He says later in John chapter 16, in this world you will have much tribulation. And he's not just speaking a platitude there like, oh, there's going to be trouble. He, he speaks specifically. He says people are going to try to kill you that you're going to experience in this world suffering, that the ruler of this world, referring to Satan, is coming in this way in which he is going to wreak havoc in your life. But it's not the sense that Jesus is saying, so, so do your best, or I'm really going to miss you, or you're in for it, you better buckle up. No, he's saying all those things, but he still says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. How is it? How is it that both can be true? How can Jesus look at Peter and say, you're going to deny me three times before this night's even over? How can he look at the disciples and say, you're going to have much tribulation? And as he looks in each of their eyes, he, he knows the kind of tribulations they're going to face. How is it that then he can say in our passage, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give? Because he's promising us something. He's promising us the Spirit. He's promising to give his followers his Spirit. And that it's his Spirit that's going to keep them. It's his Spirit that's going to take care of them. That's why Jesus' words are intended to be comforting here. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. One of the disciples, to kind of give you an idea of the confusion in their own hearts and minds, uh, one of the disciples asked this question in the middle. He says, Lord, how is it you will manifest yourself to us and yet not to the world? How is it that you will do that? How will you bring that about? You see, put yourself in their shoes. They were confused. They were scared about him leaving. They were, they were, um, they were not sure how what he was promising would come about. But when Jesus said this, he says it in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He's actually talking in a different way than we may expect. See, as you and I hear that verse, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, we may be thinking of Christ's return, of his second coming. And, and that's indeed true. Even earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus said, um, he said these words, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, I go and prepare a place for you. But here when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he's actually speaking of the here and now. He's speaking of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And here in this chapter, in this section of Scripture, we have the ministry of the Spirit to us in very clear ways. And I just want to outline those. This is the outline in your bulletin in the second part there about what the Spirit does in our lives. The Spirit, for one, is our, our counselor. We'll talk about that. The Spirit is our counselor. Secondly, the Spirit is our homemaker. I'll kind of explain what that um, means. And then we'll talk about how the Spirit is our teacher. So how is it that the, the Spirit is our counselor? Um, what does that mean for him to be our counselor? This is a quote from Sinclair Ferguson who has a wonderful resource on this, uh, these chapters. You can either look it up on Audible. It's his lectures he gave to some students on the, these chapters of Scripture or a book called Lessons from the Upper Room. 
But he says this, and I'm going to quote Sinclair Ferguson a few times. He says uh, about the Holy Spirit being our counselor. He said, if you needed somebody to speak up for you before the judges, a paraclete, you asked a close friend whose testimony could be trusted because he knew you intimately. You might ask your longest standing friend, will you help me? Will you help me and be my paraclete? Will you serve as my counselor? I'm in trouble. I need you to speak for me and to defend me. Such a friend could speak up on your behalf in court and say, let me tell you the truth. My friend is innocent. Nobody knows him as well as I do. I've known him all his life. You can trust me. Believe me. See, isn't that an interesting role that the counselor had in this time? That Jesus would say the spirit is that for you? What's interesting when when Jesus says later that the ruler of this world is coming, one of the other ways the scripture refers to that ruler of this world, to, to the devil, is it refers to him as the accuser. In other words, when he's tempted, when he's lied, when you've taken the bait, one of the things that he does is he accuses, is he, he blames. He, he says, look at what you have done. Look at the evil that you have done. Look at your incompetence. Look at your guilt. How can you show up on a Sunday morning and worship God and smile and look all neat and tidy? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you've done? And it's at those moments that we need the advocate, the counselor, the spirit to say, but there's a redeemer. But there is someone who stood in your place. See, that's the the counselor's role. It's to remind you of the righteous standing you have before the Father because of the work of the Son. To take your place, to atone for your sin. He is the propitiation for our sins, even when our hearts condemn us. Sometimes our hearts condemn, condemn ourselves for things we've done, and rightfully so. Maybe we have a guilty conscience and we need cleansing. But the Spirit's role at that point is to remind us, remember, remember what Jesus has done. There's a a definition in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that we talk about a lot in RUF. If you've ever been around Les and Brian, you've probably heard them quote it. But it's the definition on sanctification because it's, it's how God makes us holy. And it says this, the work of sanctification is a work of God's free grace. See, don't you see what the Spirit points us to? The Spirit works in us as our counselor by reminding us of God's free grace. And that's how we make sense of these commands that Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And later on, he says it again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. This is how the Spirit works sanctification in us. And we're involved. We have effort that we exert. We have... um, We have trials that we go through. We have successes and failures in this arena. But if it were all up to us, if it were just came down to us, our discipline and obedience, then we would be hopeless. Then we'd eventually run out of steam, wouldn't we? But that's not our hope. It's in God's free grace, working by his spirit to remind us of the love of Christ for us. That is how he is our counselor. But he's also our homemaker, 
I know in the South, this is a vivid picture for many of us as we think about maybe our moms and how they made our house into a home, or maybe your wife does this. Um, I I think women have a special gift for how they can can do this. Um, Listen to this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, here's one of Scripture's most moving pictures of the Spirit's ministry. Jesus will send the Spirit to them so that they will become men and women in whose lives the Father and Son will feel at home. Isn't that beautiful? That, that the Spirit, we're told, will, will, will so work in our lives that it says in verse 23, my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Have you ever felt that uh, feeling? I, I know there's a phrase for it, imposter syndrome. It's like where you can't convince yourself that you're worthy enough to belong to a group or that you're skilled enough in your position. Well, what really answers that? What really makes us not feel like imposters, if I can put in the negative. Well, it's the the Spirit's work in our lives to make us men and women that the Spirit, excuse me, the Spirit makes us men and women that the, the Father and the Son say this, I feel at home there, don't you? Do you realize by the work of the Spirit, that's what the Father and the Son say about you? I feel at home there, don't you? He not only enables us to feel at home with God, but transforms us so that we become men and women about whom the Father might say to the Son, I feel at home there, don't you? In the Wall Street Journal this week, in the mansion section, there was a story about a house in Escondido, California, in which $400,000 was spent on wallpaper alone. Isn't that fascinating? $400,000 just on the wallpaper And I I don't know what decisions went there. I don't know kind of the arguments that may have taken place between uh, the two spouses about that decision. But I do know this, that somebody was concerned with how that room felt on the inside. In fact, how all those rooms felt on the inside. Isn't that what a homemaker does? Isn't that what we're thankful for about the homemakers in our lives? Um, Again, from Sinclair Ferguson, He says, sometimes we find ourselves in homes where a cold or awkward atmosphere prevails and we do not really feel welcome. You know, it can even be a very nice home, a very elegant home, and yet we don't feel welcome and we can't even put our finger on it. Um, And we're relieved when it's time to leave that place. But other homes are suffused with an atmosphere of love and their open-hearted welcome embraces us. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Spirit in our lives? And it doesn't always look the way that we want it to look. You know, it doesn't always, in the Spirit, uh, He doesn't always make our lives the way we think He should make them. You know, cleaning them up in such a way or getting us, getting our act together in this specific arena. In fact, sometimes there's indwelling circumstances and trials and even sin in our life that the Spirit is working with us to put to death. And yet the reason, one of the designs for the, way, the reason it's still in us is because Jesus is doing that very work in you of making you more like a home for him. He's giving you the humility that you could receive in no other context than your battle with sin. He is making you meek. He is making you what the Beatitudes describe, someone poor in spirit someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. See, that's how the Spirit is our homemaker. He does these things in our lives. And and He reveals to us our sin, and yet He always reveals to us even, even more clearly the work of Christ for us. 
that that sin has been atoned for in Christ. That is how he is our homemaker. And so that's why we engage in this battle of loving Christ and doing what he commands and falling flat on our face and yet coming back to his first love for us and then going back into the battle. It's, it's this sanctification. It's the spirit making us fit for the father and son to dwell in. The, the last example is that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And this may be, may be the simplest picture because it, all of us in this room have had teachers that have affected us that have impacted us. My wife is a kindergarten teacher and the stories she brings home each night are amazing about the ways that she is able to engage these kids and the conversations they are able to have. And, and you and I have those experiences with teachers and we need to ask, what is it that makes a good teacher? You know, the teachers in this room that are so good at what they do, what is it that you love about them? Often it's that they they have communicated to you a love, a caring, that in some way, whether it was a coach or a teacher, in some manner, they have met you where you are and said, I care about you. But there's another piece to this. They were passionate about the subject they were trying to teach you. They were passionate about the things they wanted you to learn. So they loved you and they loved their subject. Now listen as we think about the, uh, count, the Spirit being our teacher, um, it ties in with how the Spirit was Jesus' own counselor and teacher. Listen to this. The Spirit was Jesus' counselor. He bore witness to him. He was with him through every step of his life. He knew him best. We might indeed say that he was our Lord's best friend. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That the Holy Spirit was Jesus' best friend when he was on this earth in his earthly ministry. And this is why the Holy Spirit's ministry to us is so significant. He knows Jesus best, and he knows us best too, just like that teacher I described a moment ago. He knows how to teach us about Jesus and what resources to bring to us from Jesus. He is like a bright light shining now on this aspect, now on that aspect of Jesus's character and ministry, showing us that he is exactly the Savior we need. He is exactly the Savior we need. Isn't it amazing, some of you in the room can attest to this, that even after knowing certain portions of Scripture, maybe even memorizing those Scriptures, that 10, 20, 30 years down the line, you can see something in that verse speaking of Jesus that you never saw before. Why is that? Were you just not paying attention? Um, you know, why did you not see that part of what this, the verse was teaching? It's because you weren't ready for it yet. And the Spirit, as the perfect teacher, knows exactly what you're ready for when you need it. That as Sinclair Ferguson said, he is a like a bright light shining now on this aspect, now on that aspect of Jesus' character and ministry to us, showing us that he is exactly what? He is the Savior we need. That is what the Spirit does for us. This is the, the Spirit's work in our lives. Now, as I, as I began, I have to echo again that what Jesus promises here isn't ease. It isn't um, that life is going to look exactly how you wanted it to. In fact, it's the opposite. As Jesus spoke to his dear friends and his disciples that night, he wanted to be honest. That was something I actually felt like I was hammered in my head from Les's ministry to me back when he was an area coordinator of just the importance of honesty with those you love, of truthfulness, of not sugarcoating things. 
And so Jesus is saying there's going to be tribulation. And yet the Spirit is going to meet you every step of the way to answer that tribulation in just the way you need him to. And the way you need him to is always to point you back to Christ. There's a, a long book many of you have maybe undertaken to read and quit in the middle because it's so long and has so many diversions, but it's Victor Hugo's Les Mis. And in some prints, it's about 1,400 pages. Um, but in that story, uh, if we could put it this way, it's summed up in six lines from the musical. It's summed up in six lines from the musical. And it's, it's the story of an orphan girl, Cosette, who this hero, uh, Jean Valjean, sets out to, to redeem and to take care of and love. And yet this, uh, this villain, um, we could say, this, this evil, cruel, harsh man, Javert, uh, is trying to track after Jean Valjean and imprison him, put him in prison uh, because he, he was an ex-convict that had turned his life around. But in the story, uh, they communicate, Javert said, you never change, that you're always going to be the same and I, I will hound you and place you in prison. Now listen to this. This is the six lines that summarize this 1,400-page story. It's this, it's, this is Jean Valjean speaking to Fontaine, the, the mother of Cosette, right before she dies. And he says this, I swear to you tonight, your child will live within my care and I will raise her to the light. That's, that's the story. And yet the second part of that story is this, and it's in the musical, it's, it's so artistically shown. It's, it's Javert right behind him saying, there's no place for you to hide. And wherever you may hide away, and then they both end on this line, I swear to you, I will be there. In other words, Javert says, I will find you, I will hound you down, I will imprison you, there's no place for you to hide. And it's Jean Valjean saying to Fontaine, your child will live within my care and I will raise her to the light. I swear to you, I will be there. See, both promises are here in John chapter 14. In the world, you will have tribulation. The ruler of this world is coming, and he's still here. He's still wreaking havoc on our lives, both inside and out. And you know what Jesus is promising here is he will be with us. And not just in our minds, not just in our imaginations, but he will indwell us by his spirit. This is a promise that we need to treasure up. This is a promise we need to remember again and again because it's basically Psalm 46 being fulfilled. It's basically the words from the beginning of Psalm 46, which I'll close with, being fulfilled in our lives. Psalm 46 says this, We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. What is that river? How is God in the midst of us? It's by a spirit pointing us to Christ, pointing us that, that inside of us, Jesus promises there'll be streams of life, that overflowing from us will be streams of life. It's because the spirit's work in us, pointing us to the grace we have in Christ. Let me pray to that end that, that the Spirit would do that in our lives. Father, from the rising of the sun to its setting, you are to be praised. And you say throughout your word that your steadfast love is with us and that we will not be moved or shaken. 
I pray that by your spirit this morning, you would work these things that you promised your spirit does. That you would work in us new lessons of faith as our good and um, wise teacher. I pray that we would learn those lessons we need to learn today. That we would see more clearly the ministry of Jesus in our lives. I pray that we would understand more clearly that we are to be made a home for the Father and Son, that the Spirit does this homemaking inside of us, and that we would be more humble, more contrite of heart, just as you promised in Isaiah 66, that the one to whom you will look is the one who trembles at your word. And finally, Lord, we pray that the Spirit would be our counselor, that he would remind us of the, the what our advocate, what Jesus has done, that when we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for us. We pray that we would know the Spirit's ministry in all these ways this morning and throughout the day and this week. We pray in Christ's name, amen.